think sometime we're going to have to hear you preach up here, yeah? No. What do you think, everybody? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, by the way, um, I was reminded about the pizza with a purpose. If you want to participate, be sure to bring this flyer and show it to them so that, so that they know what it's about and that I guess we can get credit for it. So. But uh, we do need to pray, right? And we do need to come before God's throne and, um, and be humble before him. And, uh, but come with confidence. And this morning, I want us to do that. I want us to spend some time um, just in God's presence. And uh, about a month ago, um, there was a shooting in or- Orlando. I don't know if you remember. And, uh, you know, the, the news these days kind of keeps coming and going, and we're just flooded. We're overwhelmed with so many things that are happening. And the week after that happened, uh, we, we paused in prayer and in silence. And this week, some things have happened that have been no less shocking. Um, Two deaths by the hands of uh, uh, law enforcement. And then five officers lost their lives, um, seemingly in sort of retaliation. Um, And my heart is broken over that. And I I hope yours is as well. we need to pray for our nation. We need to come before um, the throne of grace with confidence. And so I just want us to, to spend some time right now, uh, pause in prayer, uh, remember the families of those who lost their lives, um, and, uh, and we'll go on with, with, our, um, with our passage. But let's, let's pause in prayer. Father, it seems that just more and more each day there's additional heartache, additional turmoil, um, additional anxiety that's raised in our lives. And if we focus on that, if we just hear and listen to the news, the anxiety level will be increased in each of us. Lord, help us to balance out what we hear through the media and and through social media and all all of that, with just being with you, just spending time in your word, pausing in prayer, so that our center, our, our spirits, our souls will be focused in you and grounded in you. Lord, help us to hear that word today, even as, uh, we mourn the loss. We, we mourn with those who mourn. We grieve with those who grieve. Places like Baton, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or Minnesota, or Dallas. And Lord, we, we pray that we don't have to hear another story like this. We pray, Lord, that there would be some sanity that is restored Pray, Lord, that it would be your spirit that would um, 
that would convict us. And Father, we, we repent. We repent of our selfishness, of our self-centeredness, of our fear even. And we come to you with our arms high. We pray that, that we could receive everything that you have to give to us. In Jesus' name, amen. This week we finish up our series through the letter of the Apostle John, what we refer to as First John. John was writing to a church who was experiencing some challenges to their faith. There were some who were leaving their church, teaching some incorrect doctrines about who Jesus was and what he did. So John wrote this letter to correct those wrong teachings and to encourage the remaining believers to stay strong in their faith and to grow in their relationship with God and Christ. Perhaps they were lacking courage and confidence in what they believed in. Perhaps they were wavering in their faith in Christ and their fellowship. As we review the whole letter we see that John talks about several things. In chapter 1, he talks about walking in the light, in the character of God, that God is light, and that only light can dispel the darkness, and only love can dispel the hatred. Chapter 2, he talks about obeying God's commands to love one another. That's it. Very simple. Love one another. And then he warns against the teachings of the Antichrist and those with the spirit of the Antichrist. In chapter 3, he talks about our identity in Christ and being either life givers or life takers. Life givers or life takers. In chapter 4, he talked about the love of the Father toward his children, our Heavenly Father. And in the first part of chapter 5, he talked about the testimony of Christ and how we can stand in the testimony of Christ. And that's through, through trusting in the testimony that we have victory. And this week, John concludes his letter to his spiritual children, all of us, really, by encouraging us one last time. He wants us to abide with the confidence of Christ. Do you need confidence? Do you need confidence? You know, the world tells us that you have to show confidence if you want to get that great work position or do well in sports or any kinds of performance. Um, we must demonstrate a confidence in order to get to the place that we want to go. You know, and even if we don't really have confidence, we sort of have to act like we do, right? But is that the sort of confidence that God wants for us and wants in us? And what exactly do we have confidence in? Ourselves? Uh, in the musical, The Sound of Music, Sister Maria tries to muster up the courage to face her new job, being nanny to seven kids to the widowed Captain Von Trapp. And on her way to the job, she sings this song called Confidence. And in it, she sings this line, I have confidence in confidence alone. With great gusto, she sings this song. 
That is until she reaches the uh, front doorstep of this huge mansion. And then she just stops dead in her tracks. Confidence in confidence alone, um, that's wishing upon a star. We have to have confidence in something or someone. Not just this idea that we can muster up our own confidence. That it will get us through the turmoil and trials of our lives. Our confidence must come from a place outside of ourselves. A place bigger than us. A source that originates from a place completely other than ourselves. It must come from confidence in Christ and his completed work on the cross. If it comes from any other place, it will fall apart. It will crumble under the weight of despair and grief. But if we abide in the confidence of Christ, a few things will happen. A few things will happen. First, we will have confidence to approach God. 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 13. He says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that, we have, that what we have asked, that we know that we have what we have asked of him. When you pray, do you have confidence to approach God? When you pray, do you believe that God will hear and answer your prayer? When you pray, do you pray according to God's will to what God wants to happen or according to what you want to happen? When you pray, are you willing to accept God's answer, no matter what that answer is, even if the answer doesn't match up to what you want to hear? John tells us here the reason he has written all of these things in this letter, the purpose for writing in the first place, to all who believe in the name of the Son of God, that, that is, in the name of Jesus, so that we may know we have eternal life. And, and it is with this confidence in the name of Jesus that we can approach God and pray and ask anything according to his will, not our will, but his will, and he hears us. A few years ago, my brother uh, Julian was diagnosed with thyroid cancer, and I prayed for him, and I prayed with him often. I even laid my hands on the area close to where the tumor was supposed to be and prayed for him. He did not survive his thyroid cancer, but even in that time that I was praying for him, I didn't stop believing that God could heal him of his cancer if that was God's will. And it was not God's will that Julian be healed of his cancer. Now, I'm sure that many of you had, ha, have had similar experiences in your life with your loved ones who have succumbed to the effects of a fallen and broken world. But I also believe that you did not stop believing that God could heal your loved ones if that was God's will for, him, for them. Our confidence is not in ourselves. 
or our ability to pray, or the frequency of our prayers, or the words we use when we pray. Our confidence is in God, in the character of God, in his love and grace and mercy in our lives, and ultimately in his authority over our lives, for however long or short he allows us to live. This next week, I, uh, next week and a half or so, I undergo the final seven radiation treatments for prostate cancer. Um, by the way, in the bulletin, it's in the, under the prayer requests, I think it says um, to pray for me for the next few months as I undergo the radiation. Um, it's just for one more week, and, and I've al- already gone through the first four weeks of treatment. Uh, thank you, though. Thank you for your prayers and your thoughts for me and my family over, over these last two months. While it has been a challenging time, I'm sure many people have undergone much more rigorous and debilitating cancer treatments. And not to minimize what we've been through, but it has been fairly uneventful. And it, and it will still be a little while before I can have the final results and can be deemed cancer-free. In fact, I will probably be monitored regularly through blood tests for the next about five years or so before I can be declared that. But I trust that God is sovereign and that I have confidence in God's character and plan for our lives. And we will confidently approach the throne of God and ask according to his will. This is something that as believers we should all be capable of and we should be practicing on a regular basis, approaching God with confidence. There's much in this broken world that we need to pray for. Right? Broken bodies, broken relationships, broken governments, broken people. But it is at the throne of grace that we find the answers to our troubled souls. The writer of Hebrews put it this way Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Is there any time we need to receive mercy and grace from God? Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace. And it is at that throne of grace that we we will and we can approach God. And we will pray for our brother and sister. We will pray for our brother and sister whom we love. Whom we love. Verse 16 and 17. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those sin, those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Here, John returns to a reference of the cause of his initial concern. That is that there are those in the church who left because of some wrong ideas about Jesus and God, and this was influencing those who were were remaining in the church. And so once again, John is addressing the issue of sin and forgiveness and repentance and restoration. And he says something startling, perhaps confusing, 
um, and often through the years, much debated ideas about sin and death, and especially different kinds of sin and death. Some that, some that lead to death, and some that don't. And at first glance, we might read those words and ask, what does he mean here? What is he really referring to? And how does it apply to us as individual believers? Well, first of all, we should deal with the things that we can understand. John says that if you see or discern any brother or sister commit a sin, we should pray for them according to God's will, and that God would give them life and restoration. That's fairly straightforward, not necessarily very easy. Have you ever seen or discerned that someone was going in the wrong direction? Whether you witnessed them actually doing something wrong or just knew in your spirit that they were headed in the wrong direction? We are to pray for one another, our brothers and sisters, and lift them up to God, that God would restore them and lead them in the right path. We want our family, friends, loved ones to live fruitful, hopefully long, productive lives. But sometimes our hearts steer us in the wrong direction. We get caught up in negative and destructive thoughts and behaviors that lead us down the wrong, destructive path. As fellow brothers and sisters, um, we need to pray for one another and keep praying for one another. We are to confidently approach the throne of grace with those precious and dear souls and plead for God's mercy and grace to be upon them. But have you ever confronted anyone you know, that was either intentionally or potential, potentially sinning against God with the desire to bring them back from the brink of disaster and restore their relationship with God. I've been in that position, not necessarily as a pastor, but as a friend and a close relative. It, it's not an easy or pleasant thing to do, but it needed to be addressed. Thankfully, that person responded to, hopefully, the, the gentle prompting I and another brother gave to this person, as well as to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and they repented of, the, of their situation. But what if they don't change? What if they don't turn? God talks about sins that don't lead to death and sins that do lead to death. And that may, that may raise some question, serious questions in your mind, especially since John really doesn't explain himself. It seems as though John assumes his readers know what he's talking about. Well, I think that this actually offers to us a clue as to the nature of these two categories of sin, one that leads to death and one that doesn't. Remember that John is writing to a faith community which has already experienced some fracturing. Back in chapter 2, John refers specifically to these people, and I, I want us to, to review that passage. 1 John chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 20, I think it's 3 or 24. Bear with me. John says in verse 18, Dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even many... Even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, 
they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. But no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that you... See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. Here John is talking about people who have left the fellowship. And they deny that Jesus is the Christ. These he calls liars and the Antichrist, the one who denies Jesus. I believe that John is referring to these people when he talks about the sin that leads to death. What greater sin could there be than simply to, de- to deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Chosen One? I want us to go back to the book of Hebrews again because this will help us with our understanding. Hebrews chapter 6. The writer says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away, to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Those who are at one time part of the faith community, who had tasted of God's goodness and the powers of the coming age and have fallen away, left the fellowship, for these it is impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. It's not that God in his power could not bring them back. It's that they chose to deny Christ, to walk away from God, and to forsake the truth. For them, the truth is dead. So while the statement about the sin that leads to death may be a bit confusing, on closer examination, John's merely referencing something that the readers already knew, that those who once claimed to be believers, part of the fellowship, said that they loved God, in fact never were believers in the first place, and their actions spoke louder than their words. All this to say that as we remain in Christ, we will with confidence approach God with our prayers for our brothers and sisters in obedience to Christ's command to love one another. To love one another. The third result of abiding with the confidence of Christ is that we will find rest. We will find rest in what we know. We will find rest in what we know. Verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the the control of the evil one. 
we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. It's said that if something is repeated three times in the Bible, you better pay attention. Well, here John says three times in verses 18, 19, and 20. We know. We know. What do we know? What do we know? First, we know anyone born of God does not continue in sin. They are not a slave to sin. They are set free from the captivity of sin. And Christ, the one who is born of God, keeps us safe. And the evil one cannot harm us. Number two, we know that we are God's children. But we also know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. As we look around today, do we see the truth in that? Is there any question that the scheme of the devil is to turn people against one another? In unity, there's strength, but a house divided cannot stand. The scheme of the devil is to turn people against one another. And that's what we're seeing all around our country today in places like Baton Rouge and Minnesota and Dallas. And these are merely the result of a fallen world and that we desperately need a Savior. We desperately need a Savior. But we also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. We need to hold on to that truth. In the midst of of all the insanity that is happening, we need to not only hold on to that truth, we need to stand up and as a church to speak up about what has been happening. We need to grieve with those who grieve. But in that knowledge, we can find rest. We can find peace. The biggest issue that we see today isn't just police brutality or racism or a broken political or justice system. The biggest issue is and has always been an issue of the heart. No presidential candidate, no charismatic leader, no revamped political system or economic justice will be the end-all answer to our human ills. There's only one place where we can find peace and rest. There's only one person who can change the human heart, and that is Jesus, his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Yes, we as a church must speak out against hatred and injustice, Yes, we must recognize our own prejudices and repent of them. Yes, we must pray for our hurting brothers and sisters, people of all colors and races, who have suffered through, through the ages. But we must also point them back to the Messiah, to the Savior, to the one who will give them that Sabbath rest. Back to Hebrews chapter 4. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. 
Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will abide, I'm sorry, no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. We must make every effort to enter into the rest that Jesus alone provides. And John's final statement, which stands alone, it stands on its own. He says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. His very last words of, the, of his letter. A spiritual father speaking to his spiritual children, urging them to keep from idols of any and all sorts. The idols of our lives, comfort, security, recognition, all the things that keep us away from our blessed Savior. We are to avoid these things. Do you have rest for your soul? Do you, ha- do you need rest for your soul? Come with confidence to the altar, and you will find rest for your soul. Right now, I, I want us to take some time to rest in Christ, to abide in him, to commune with him through communion. We're going to come forward and we're going to collect the elements of communion together. And, uh, and I'd like you to do something a little bit different. I'd like you to sort of gather in, in small groups of maybe four, three or four people together. I'd like us not to take communion by ourselves, as we often do, sitting in our individual seats. But I'd rather, rather have us... Take the communion elements and sit back down, maybe by the cross, maybe in small groups around the room. And we're going to play a video, which is a worship song. And through that time, I'd like you to spend time with, with one another. And if you, if you can just share with one another some prayer requests that you might have. And you don't have to pray out loud, that's okay. But if you could just pray as a family, if, you're, if you're, you have family members here, um, or if you're by yourself, or, you know, just find somebody. If you see somebody by themselves, invite them into your circle. But I, I don't want us to be alone. We want us to share communion together in small groups. We'll, we'll spend a little bit of time in prayer, and then at the end of the video, I'll lead us as we take the communion elements together. But let me pray as we're, we're preparing ourselves. Lord, is there anything that we need more than to abide and rest in you? No. There's nothing more than we need. So may we take this time now, Lord, to prepare our hearts. May we find some time of rest and refuge in you. And may we share that and we do that as a community together as family, as friends, as loved ones, as we remember what you accomplished for us on the cross and the victory that we have when we celebrate the resurrection. 
May all of those things be a continual reminder to us that we can approach your throne of grace with confidence, knowing that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Glad you had a time to share with one another and um, hopefully pray. And, um, like us to just come back together again and let's take the communion elements together. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time of prayer and sharing and community, Lord. This is a celebration, but it's also a recognition of what Christ did on the cross for us, Lord. So thank you for the body that was broken for us. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it, all of you. And as often as you do it, you do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. And in like manner, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood spilled for you, poured out for you. Take it and drink it. And as often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for this great gift. It truly is the only thing that restores our lives and makes us whole. We recognize, Lord, that we are a broken people. But as, as often as and as long as we return to the truth of who you are and of what you've done, and that becomes our foundation That's all, we, that, that's all that we need. All we need is you. Lord, may we declare that in our lives, through our actions and through our words. May we declare all the different things that we, we believe about you. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.